Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today we're joined by Peoria Mayor Jim Artis, who is seeking his fourth consecutive four-year term as mayor in this year's elections. Voters will have a say in narrowing that field on February 28th. Artis is challenged by political newcomers G. Marie Kennel and Corey Thomas. Mr. Mayor, let's start out by talking about your decision to run for another four-year term. What made you want to run again, and what do you see as your biggest accomplishment so far in office? Well, uh, Chris, uh, you know, it was it was a really a family decision, as it has been every time I've I've run. Uh, although uh, it's just my wife and I now, so our kids are grown and uh, and have moved along. But uh, it was a it was a good discussion about you know another four-year commitment, and uh, I think that you know what really put us over the top is that uh, I still have a lot of energy and, and passion for our community. Uh, I think it's important that we uh, we continue uh, along what we've been doing here for the last number of years. And uh, my wife was very supportive, and, and uh, we're... We're looking forward to it. We got a lot of challenges, and we have a couple more than we we knew we had uh, mm-hmm. when we actually made a decision to go for four more. But uh, I think we're up for the challenge, and and still have energy, still have passion, and still have the excitement to do it. And, and looking back on on these last twelve years, what what are you proudest of having achieved in the city? You know, there's uh, there's really a lot of so many things, and, and when you start you know thinking about um, some of the new things that have come to Peoria, some of the challenges that we've gotten ourselves through. Uh, for me, it's I, I can't say that this one thing. It's not this one project. It's, it's not uh, anything that you can really put your hands on. When I first ran for mayor, uh, after serving six years as an at-large councilman, uh, under two different mayors, uh, I thought it was really important that we we moved the city council to uh, not not quite. Uh, a dramatic board of directors, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to I, I think to kind of put it in a nice way. Um, I really thought it was important that you know the, the the eleven members of the Peoria City Council are the board of directors for the city of Peoria, and it's important for us to have when we have discussion. It's good to have strong debate, mm-hmm. and it's and it's and it's good to make sure we uh, allow everybody an opportunity to express their opinion, but. Uh, you can do it without getting personal. You can do it without uh, carrying the results of a vote that you didn't win on over to the next big thing and playing uh, playing gotcha games like that. I mean, just really raise the the level of professionalism around the horseshoe. And 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 I think over you know over twelve years, I think uh, we've gotten it about to that point. You still have moments that there's maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more energy, uh, you know, towards each other. But I I think that the council has really gotten itself to a level where we can have these vigorous debates and disagree. But when the vote's done, we move forward. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of projects that, that we can talk about. A lot of them have happened that have been good. We've had some things happen that weren't so good. Uh, I'm proud of I'm proud of the things that worked great. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that didn't, 
you know, you reflect on how we might have been able to make it better, and there's a lot of, of different things that go into impacting those decisions. But overall, uh, I think I'm, uh, I have a really strong feeling that the council as a whole uh, is, is very responsible. They, they debate these issues very well. And I think that uh, what we demand out of the city manager and, and staff, I think we're getting a, a lot better information than we used to. Okay, take me into the next four years, if you're fortunate enough to win re-election then. What are your key priorities during that time? What do you want to focus your yeah. attentions on? Well, I mean, there's specific focuses that we have to put more uh, more direction on, especially after some of the announcements that we've had here recently. Uh, if you go back and look, even when I when I first ran for city council as a, as a total newcomer to the situation, uh, the things I the things I've always talked about is is the importance of having a, a strong city uh, that supports local business, and uh, that's very important. Um, it's very uh, important for us to uh, do what we can to uh, support education. Uh, we don't have any direct line of, of authority in that regard, but it's very important for Peoria to grow and to you know to hold our own to have quality schools in our community that people feel comfortable moving in. Uh, so it's it's schools. Uh, uh, so the first part, you know, jobs, business. The second part, uh, strong schools, strong education, strong support for what they're doing. Uh, and the third part is a safe community. And that's, you know, uh, obviously something that we continue to work very hard on. And it's one of the bigger challenges for, you know, some of the older urban uh, cities in our state. So those those three broad areas have since the very beginning been the foundation of my platform uh, and other things very off from there. I mean, we, with the uh, with the announcement uh, that we've had at Caterpillar, uh, it's going to be more important for us to uh, we're not we're not starting now to look at attracting new business. We've we've always been doing it. We always have a lot of attention to it, pay a lot of attention to it. But we really need to go out there and, and really place a lot more emphasis on that and how we're going to pick up some of the slack from the loss of those jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and you're leading straight into my next question, which I where we haven't rehearsed it this way. Uh, but the announcement was obviously unexpected for yeah. every single one of us and kind of rocked us all back when we heard Tuesday morning. What role exactly do you see the city playing in diversifying business in the area and encouraging more employment in the area? It, like I said, Chris, it's going to be a continuation of what we're, we've already been doing. It's it, uh, more of a spotlight on it now, so mm-hmm. people will probably get a little bit more of a insight into what's been going on. But, you know, we work uh, very hard. I mean, uh, our economic development department is basically three people. Our mm-hmm. assistant city manager uh, who is in charge of economic development is Chris Setti, and he's got two folks that work with him, and they work their tails off, uh, you know, doing a lot of outreach, uh, uh, following up on a lot of leads, and, and doing a lot of work to try to uh, see what's out there. If we if we get news of somebody that might be looking to, uh, to grow, expand, move into this market, or if we know that something's uh, happening in this area looking at different industries that could potentially either partner with or uh, just really um, uh, put it put a nice uh, emphasis on on what they're doing that would be mutually um, mm-hmm. c- compatible uh, we do that so uh, they work extremely hard but they also work hard with the other groups and there's a number of other groups that are working in that in that area I mean you got you know the county's economic development folks you got the greater Peoria uh, EDC and uh, and a host of others that uh, uh, you know it's really going to be 
even more important, as I said, for us to to all work together and to uh, try to encourage that growth. Um, we're also going to be putting a lot more emphasis and maybe a lot more exposure on the things that are existing out there right now that people just haven't really thought that much about until this announcement. Including what sorts of things? Well, uh, you know, a lot of what's going on with, you know, Startup Peoria and some of the areas that are really working on as incubators for a lot of these uh, new business startups. And uh, I think people are probably going to start seeing those things relatively soon. Just so uh, it's important from a confidence level, not just for our, our citizens in general, but also for the rest of the business community to know that there's there have been ongoing efforts in this regard, and there still will be, uh, to help uh, small business and to help entrepreneurs who have ideas for, for good business. The, the reality of, of us having an opportunity to bring another uh, Caterpillar World Headquarters to Peoria is relatively small. Mm-hmm. Um, but the opportunity to continue to develop and encourage small business to come to Peoria for a host of reasons is pretty good. I mean, you know, going out there and getting um, somebody to bring two or three or four hundred jobs in here again is is not very likely. But the opportunity to encourage and, and develop, you know, 30 new companies to bring 20 or 30 or 40 employees is here is very realistic. And to home grow our own businesses. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes Peoria has a reputation, and, and we hear this around the horseshoe as we're debating incentives for projects or, or specific places mm-hmm. coming here. Peoria sometimes has People claim, at least, that that it's a, a business-unfriendly environment or, or too much regulation. Can you point to anything that you think the city could do better there to reduce those challenges? Well, Chris, I you know one of the, one of the areas that we've really worked hard on over the last. 12 years is to try to try to minimize that a little bit. You've got and, the one-stop shop yeah, that people can come yeah. to. And, so the one-stop shop where people can come in and, and one-stop, get in front of all the building inspectors and everybody else that's going to have a decision and give them the input they need and what they're mm-hmm. going to require and, and take them out. And, and I do think that in general, uh, we've gotten less burdensome on new business, uh, but probably what we need to work on more is... Uh, that perception that it's hard to do business here because it, it, it really is that situation that as long as people say Peoria is a tough place to do business and you have that perception, it's going to potentially have a chilling impact on people that want to come here and do it. I, I, it, not a week goes by that I don't talk to someone that has moved a business here or is in the process of, of building a business here that tells me, uh, you know, they've been all over the country. They've opened up stores here, there, and elsewhere, and they really had a smooth ride, and it really went good. The inspectors fell over backwards on themselves. You, you don't hear those stories, uh, you know, but they're but they're out there, and they really are. And I can I can give people a list of, of those folks, but you know, the ones you hear about are the other way. So the other thing, the other part of that story. That that you need to sometimes keep into in the back of your mind is you know we've been we've had so much emphasis on the downtown and warehouse district mm-hmm. and so when you're going in and, and redeveloping those old structures like that it's extremely expensive uh, to make sure that they you know are ADA accessible mm-hmm. uh, that you know the building codes are, are drastically different than mm-hmm. they were you know 50 60 100 years ago mm-hmm. when a lot of those buildings were built so 
you can't just say, well, they're grandfathered in because they're old buildings. They're not. You know, you still have to look out for customers and, and uh, their, their safety. So that is very restrictive. And sometimes, I mean, we... That's why, for one thing, state historic tax credits are so important and other measures like that that offset some of that uh, increased overhead that it takes to, to keep those old historic buildings in use. But it's because of a lot of that, people do get frustrated. Developers get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And people that really don't have an idea of what's involved in bringing these buildings back think that that that's information and that's requirements that the city just creates to be to raise revenue on a fee and that's that's not it at all Mm -hmm. ada might be the most prohibitive one of all of them which we have absolutely no jurisdiction Mm -hmm. on none so that we can't even be flexible on that because there's no flexibility on ada requirements so in other places and we get we get uh, compared a lot of times to uh, our friends on the east peoria side Mm -hmm. and now keep in mind the majority of the new growth that's happened on the riverfront in East Peoria is all brownfield and greenfield. It's mm-hmm. just it's basically just dirt. So it, it, there really aren't mm-hmm. a lot of restrictions when you're going in and, <laughs> and putting a foundation mm-hmm. and building a building. It's pretty simple. Yeah. It's not hard. So I think sometimes people don't don't keep that in mind when they're having those conversations about why sometimes you have to jump through more hoops over here. Mm-hmm. But in general, I mean, you don't you don't see that as much on the residential construction side in Peoria because they're it's the same mm-hmm. situation. Right. They're building on a on a greenfield. Okay. Uh, I want to shift over to one of the other priorities that that you talked about, too, in in terms of public safety. A dozen years ago, when you were first elected, one of the things that that you emphasized when you ran was was an overall lack of safety, crime being, in in some respects, out of control. Since then, we've had a record-tying year of homicides one year, but we've also had comparatively low numbers of homicides in several recent years. We've seen don't shoot and shot spotter come in, but reports of gunfire and gunfire injuries were up last year. So is crime truly under control? And more to the point, what do we need to do better to keep it under control? Well, um, you know, again, you can pull out statistics to make whatever argument you want to make. And, and I don't disagree with anything that you led into this question with, Chris. So uh, I did run on that uh, 12 years ago, and it, and it is still a priority. Unfortunately, it hasn't gone away, uh, and it's still an issue. Um, if you Statistically, if you look at the, at the last, you know, four or five years, crime overall is down 11.5%. Um, we have had, we've always said, and, and uh, even when we've had um, the, the low number of homicides mm-hmm. in a year, we've always said that looking at homicides is not really a good measure of safety in a mm-hmm. community. Right. Uh, so it, it's really hard to use that as a barometer, and we try not to. Uh, you know, we had, uh, we only had six gun-related homicides in 2016, mm-hmm. and two of those were like the last two weeks of the year. So, right. I mean, we were looking at four, and we were, we were happy with with that, but but you know the don't shoot executive team, and when we're talking in the community, PCAB and other things, we can't hang our hat on the fact that we had a low number of homicides. As the community was safe, as you mentioned, we have a lot had a lot more shots fired. We had a lot more people that were shot, mm-hmm. uh, and if it weren't for the fact that we have uh, very strong emergency response here and uh, unbelievably strong uh, medical folks at the hospitals when we get there to save them. Mm-hmm. 
that number, who knows what that number could right. have been. Okay, so I, I acknowledge all that. I accept all that. And, uh, you know, we continue, that's why we continue to place the emphasis on it. I, you know, the uh, shot spotter technology has been really good for us to help us get to the scene quicker and, and uh, in many cases find the people that have done it. Mm-hmm. But shot spotter is, is not... Uh, it's never been a deterrent, and it's never been uh, supposed to be a deterrent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the don't shoot is working unbelievably well. It really is, and and uh, when people understand that the the sole focus of don't shoot is on gun crime in gangs. Mm-hmm. It's not domestic. It's not, you know, a road rage type situation that there was a gun involved. So it's it's real. They've really put a big hole in the gang side uh, as it relates to gang gun violence, uh, and we have to continue to answer your question. What more can we do? Yeah. Okay. We got. You know, we're we're right around. Uh, I think our our approved uh, level for police off paid uh, for a number of officers is right around two hundred. 230 I think and we're we're close to that counting the people that are in PTI being trained to come mm-hmm. here okay but you know there's going to be another group of, of uh, uh, police officers retiring this year so they're going to be replaced so from the standpoint of of hiring more police officers to make us safer that's not very likely and it mm-hmm. really it's it's been proven that you know police officer on every corner yeah flooding the zone is it, not what it doesn't work yeah. and in, in the long term it's not sustainable either so i am I'm, I'm totally convinced that one of the biggest things that we can do that will have the most impact and it's growing is PCAV. It's Peoria Community Against Violence. Mm-hmm. And that's part of David Kennedy's structure and philosophy on uh, on the don't shoot methodology mm-hmm. is you have that strong community voice mm-hmm. that, and this is whether you live on the south end, on the north end, on the east bluff, or you know out mm-hmm. in the northwest in the growth areas. It's so important for all of us to do what we can to maintain mm-hmm. safe neighborhoods. Yeah, the community needs to stand up and say enough when you have they dangerous do. blocks. They do, and it's growing, and it's 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 kind of one of those hard things for people to to really gravitate to, especially if they live in a neighborhood that doesn't. You know, their association and experience in crime is when they see it on TV or read about it mm-hmm. in your paper. I mean, that, yeah. that it, or, you know, they, they don't really even talk to somebody that's personally experienced it, experienced it. but people really are, are really engaging and they're really starting to say, you know, we need to embrace this as a whole community mm-hmm. and really embrace this attitude of a safe environment to, uh, and then, and then it grows more than just incrementally like it, mm-hmm. like it has been. I'd, I'd probably, and this is, this is something that you really can't uh, put your finger on because I don't know how you would, how you would measure it, but if we didn't put the emphasis on crime that we did 12 years ago, mm-hmm. it kind of worries me to think where we might be today. Uh, so we're not burying our head in the sand and saying it doesn't exist. We're, we're out there. We're focused. The numbers are on the, on, the web, on the police website every month. You can go in there and you can look at every month and you can not only see the statistics, you can go to the map and see where they're happening. So we're, we're putting all that information out there. And really what we're trying to do now is just uh, more fully engage the entire community and the value of, of PCAV in participating in this. Are, are you happy with the success so far of the resident officer program and, and what that's done? to specific neighborhoods around yeah. I'm I'm glad you asked that question because that's a that's a component of uh, you know the whole model that the police department has has changed itself to in in 
it's it's had huge success in all where we have all four of those community officers. Uh, we're we're really looking long and hard about finding uh, additional resources to expand that program in the areas of, of the city that that we need it. And boy, I tell you, if we could if we could have a resident officer, if we had if we had six or eight more, mm-hmm. uh, it. It, the, the difference it makes in those neighborhoods is dramatic. Yeah. Uh, moving off of, of crime specifically a little bit, last year Peoria, as you know, was listed by an online web aggregator as the worst city for African Americans to live in after having been named sixth worst the year before that. And of course, the data looks at disparity across a five-county region, and it mixes state data and local data. And they've never bothered to share their methodology and how they blend all of that together. Mm -hmm. But the ranking is out there, and regardless of the ranking, the problems are out there behind each of those data points they have. So what are the critical issues that the city has to tackle as far as does this regional or, or racial inequality and what exactly can you commit to doing on that in the next four years? Well, uh, Chris, we, uh, you know, b- b- even before uh, 2015 when we uh, they ranked us number five or six, whatever mm-hmm. it was, and uh, we tried to reach out to them to figure out how they came up with those numbers, which we weren't able to do, and, and they weren't willing to provide. Uh, we've been we've been working on these areas of the community for as long as I've been here. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people might say, "Well, you're not doing a very good job at it," but uh, we, we have a, a really strong focus on it. But what we have done is put more of a laser focus. A specific, specifically in the 61605 area mm-hmm. code because that is where uh, just really, really a large uh, amount of, of density in, in poverty in that area. So uh, the uh, NRN came in here and, and uh, a couple years ago at our invitation, mm-hmm. uh, we asked them to help us analyze that. And, and, you know, we know the root causes of a lot of it, but just to take a deeper dive in, into that. And, and they've given us a lot of help on that. And, and I think it's it's helped us more. We're really focusing a lot more of our of our resources in that specific uh, area that, that will continue. Part of this too is uh, is this the, the community discussion that needs to happen here and elsewhere along uh, and around that whole issue of of uh, racial disparity mm-hmm. and, and racial tension that's been fueled by any number of things, mm-hmm. not the least of which is the recent uh, you know national election. So mm-hmm. those those discussions are going to are going to continue to happen. Uh, our community dialogues are going to are going to ramp up. The first couple have really been more of a uh, information sharing and. And, and trying to be thought provoking, and now the manager is going to move that discussion more into hands-on. Let's start getting some things mm-hmm. done. So, what are we going to commit to? We're going to we're going to commit to continuing that focus. Uh, we're we're trying to branch that out a little bit and look at uh, not just identifying the areas, but seeing. You know, everybody knows that we're not flush with cash. The state's mm-hmm. not flush with cash. We're not getting anything from mm-hmm. the state uh, in general. That. That isn't ours in the first right. place, uh, and, and the federal support through through HUD and, and other departments is is just get smaller every year. Mm-hmm. 
So with limited resources, what can we do to revitalize some of those neighborhoods? Let's work with the folks down there that need, uh, you know, they need job training. Some of them need just, you know, education training. A lot of folks down there have never even gotten high school diploma. But, you know, we need to reach out to them. We need to help. We're working really strong with the social service agencies uh, to do that. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to keep the main focus in that social service space there uh, until we, we see dramatic, dramatic change. And to be honest with you, it's not going to be changed in four years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's taken, you know, seven or eight decades, mm-hmm. realistically, to get to this to drive to point. this yeah. point. And, and so it's not something that it's going to be, you know, say, okay, now we all acknowledge that it's there. We'll, we'll put, you know, a couple million dollars down there and it'll all be good in, in, in mm-hmm. two years. It's not going to happen that right. way. Now, NRN recommend, that's the National Resource Network, which came in, put together a list of recommendations and ideas for, for areas on which to focus. There were a couple of community meetings about that for community leaders and their recommendation out of that was that there, there needs to be one point entity organization that, that sort of takes control and, and makes everybody march to the same tune, what, whatever that focus is, and, and attack them in their focuses. Where are we on, on getting that one entity? Uh, I think that I think we're closer in getting to that, um, Chris. Uh, you know, there's there's a number of agencies that would like to play that role model, mm-hmm. uh, not role model, would like to play that role. Uh, and what we're really trying to as a group, because it's not just solely uh, the city's decision who, who that's going to be, because we have a lot of partners on this, but it's it's who can lead it. And, and be sustainable in leading that, mm-hmm. and and so that's kind of kind of one of the discussions. And and there's a number of organizations that you know you have uh, all the uh, United Way and all their affiliates. Uh, you have uh, other organizations. You have LISC, and uh, a lot of there. There's a lot of different groups that are probably have the potential to do this, but we want to make sure that the decision is the right one, and and it's somebody that can. Uh, Engage and bring the rest of the community with them. Okay. Work. I think. I think it's pretty close. All right. I, I want to touch on some uh, some sort of controversial issues that are are out there and and where you stand on them. Starting with uh, the platform coming down on the riverfront mm-hmm. and what you think ought to go into that space. Well, as you know, Chris, we're we're kind of doing uh, a lot of uh, community outreach on that. Mm-hmm. We have some online uh, activity for people to go in there and offer suggestions and and what's going to be at that space. Uh, I really haven't heard a lot of controversy as it regards, uh, you know, taking the platform down. Most of the people uh, that I've talked to are encouraged that, you know, that it's coming down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, not to second guess the the community leaders and developers that made that decision, you know, many years ago. Uh, I think that that people are excited that there's going to be an opportunity to have this space mm-hmm. right at the at the foot of, of uh, Main Street downtown that will be some open space. Uh, I, I really would venture to say that in, in some way it's going to be majority green space, usable, mm-hmm. outdoor, open space for the community to be involved with. And that's really what I'd like to what I'd like to see down there. Um, I don't know that it necessarily needs to be just all grass. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that there's really some, you know, creative things that we can do down there. There's been talk of a, you know, potential like a band shell or an amphitheater type uh, setting. Uh, a, a number of really, really good ideas that are out there. And uh, I, I think that 
um, you know, the city definitely is was, is all ears in that regard to uh, determine what is is the is the best way to to use that in uh, something that the community will embrace. Okay, and moving just a little bit north on on the riverfront, of course, we have the the apartment project mm-hmm. there that uh, still has some hurdles to clear mm-hmm. as far as as environmental approval and everything else. But you know, the city still has has a say. Do you do you still sense support? among the council for that project well you know um this council is the majority is still supportive of it uh you know you know one of the issues that may that may come up depending on uh, how much longer we uh, before we get final approval to move forward is what the makeup of the council is going to be at that time Mm -hmm. so uh my impression is there's still going to be um better than simple majority support for that project It, it I, I still, and that is controversial. Um, it's a, you know, it's an area that, uh, frankly, doesn't get a lot of use. But it's just the fact that it's it's open green space, public space on the riverfront. Uh, I think that the manager and his team have done a good job of identifying and securing uh, appropriate and more than adequate in terms of, of acreage uh, replacement space for that. Uh, but there's just, you know, there's going to be, you know, opposition to it. Um, regardless of, of that. So uh, that's, it's a, and, and I'm not exactly sure, and I haven't spoken to the developers since the Caterpillar announcement, but I'm not sure if that's going to maybe have an impact on, on that project regardless. Okay. Uh, not necessarily controversial, but the city's still uh, awaiting the full okay to move forward with the CSO project. Uh, you support the the green solution to that? Yeah, I unbelievably supportive of the of the green solution. I'm I'm uh, you know even even when we've gone out to Washington D.C. to you know go out with our hat in our hand to the U.S. EPA and talk to them, you know you you'd think that the US EPA would be very excited <laughs> about a 100% green solution for these CSOs. And they've been dealing with CSOs for 40 or 50 years. Mm-hmm. Nobody has ever presented a potentially 100% green solution like we have. Now, you know, part of the reason that they're skeptical on that is for that exact reason. Nobody's mm-hmm. nobody's ever proposed it. How do you do that? Uh, you know, we have a, a lot of uh, um, the variables in Peoria help us in, in trying to sell that. You know, the majority of that, uh, the area below the bluff uh, has is built on sand. I mean, you go down six or eight yeah. feet and that's all it is. So, I mean, that's a, a natural filter that we have available. Uh, it doesn't go to that natural filter when it's all asphalt and concrete, okay? And, and that really has created a lot of the problems. So, the advantage that we have in this is uh, when once you get past the really difficult conversation with them on the cost. I mean, you know, US EPA uh, engineered a fix to this based on how much they think we should spend versus engineering it to a solution and then whatever the price tag is is what the price tag is. They determine that they think we should spend two, three hundred million dollars on this because they think that's what we can afford to fix it. Mm-hmm. So once we, you know, got away or tried to get away from that argument, presenting this this green model, uh, it does a number of things. Number one is it fixes the problem, which we have to do, and mm-hmm. that's what they want us to do. Uh, number two, uh, by using our model versus their engineering model of just putting a great big 10-foot diameter pipe uh, in the ground from one bridge to the sanitary districts, uh, we're actually going to 
we're, are going to cut this in sections and actually do these projects in different areas that we can maximize the amount of rainwater that just does go back down into the ground through these, you know, the, the wells on the street mm-hmm. and the bioswales and uh, permeable pavement, all those types of things that don't even put water back into the sewer system. And it, so at the same time, you're having these, these projects down on the, along the river that are going to beautify those neighborhoods where the projects are so people can actually see where their you know higher sewer fees are going but it's creating jobs too i mean it it really is a a jobs program in and of itself and and let's talk about those jobs because a couple of council candidates as well as at least one of your mayoral opponents has suggested that because a lot of this work is going to be done in older neighborhoods of the city there should be a higher percentage of the contractor that are, are set aside for minority contractors. Well, and they will be. I mean, that's that's uh, the city is is very focused on uh, not just city uh, the people that hire that we hire to work for the city, police, fire, public works, and so on, uh, having a higher uh, diversification level and, and more minorities, but also the people that anybody that's getting uh, federal, state, local tax dollars. I mean, we have standards right now mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to anybody that's getting government money and the percentage of minority contractors that have to be used. Uh, we, Our total expectation is going to be much higher than that number, and, mm-hmm. and it, it will be good for the community. Look, that, that goes back to the 61605 conversation. There's a lot of those folks uh, that will be able to participate in this and, you know, hopefully be able to uh, uh, either learn a skill or or if they already have the skill, be able to hire more people to do it. Mm -hmm. I want to give you the opportunity as we wrap up in the last two or three questions here to respond to to some criticism that that at least one of your opponents has has already levied at you over the Twitter controversy from Mm – two years ago and, and that situation and, and overall how it played out. Uh, are, are you satisfied with, with the resolution of it and what have you learned from, from the whole affair? Well, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot out there in that regard. It was, uh, it was obviously a very difficult time. I think, I think one of the, the main things that a lot of people that just heard about it uh, don't realize that when that first came out and all that first happened, it wasn't a parody at all. Uh, it was uh, a stolen identity. One of the biggest things that people worry about in this day and age, whether it's you or I it personally, uh, at our house, our kids, uh, for business owners, it's that uh, with all the hacking going on and everything else, it's it's the your personal identity and what that can potentially do to you. And that's what that was, and that's how the whole thing started. Uh, you know, and, and once it once it did, uh, I'm not saying it was it was out of my control, but you know that was something that just ran its course, and uh, uh, you know. It, Without getting into the details, then I could I could uh, say and and help people understand that I don't have that kind of pull at the police department. I don't have that kind of pull with you know four or five different judges that signed off on it. It happened. It's over. And and, and I I guess I would just try to have people try to put in their mind if. if if it came out not as a parody that you knew was a joke, if it was something that came out with your name, your picture, personal pictures, your address, your phone number, your uh, city hall information, uh, you would think that, that you, were, you were being compromised, and I was. 
So uh, it's out there. It's over. Uh, well, it's over as far as any any uh, any type of, of legal issues uh, go with it. Um, I certainly don't have uh, and have never shown. Uh, and any willingness or or unwillingness to allow people to say whatever they want about me. I mean, <laughs> open up the paper, you know. And so, it's to me, it was never something where I was trying to curtail anybody's freedom of speech. So, it's out there, I, you know. And I think it's really important. And I, you know, I'm not going to go into uh, any of the uh, opponents' past records, criminal or otherwise. Uh, and I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to talk about you know whether or not they've lived in pure their whole life or whether they've I'm not going to talk about that. What I'm going to talk about is I obviously have a record. I've been an elected official for 18 years, and it's really easy to go back and look at the thousands of decisions I've made over 18 years. Some of them, uh, some of them, hopefully almost all of them weren't good. Some of them might not have worked out like we wanted them to, but very conscientious decisions. So I have a record, and I would just say uh, I'm going to continue to talk about not only the record, what I've been consistent on for 12 years as mayor, six years before that, and you know really what the continued vision and passion is for our community and my ability to get it done the ability to work with 10 other elected officials uh, a lot of strong you know type a personalities it's not an easy task and it's not something that somebody can just walk into and get done so i'm going to talk about what i've done i'm going to talk about where i see us going and people can talk about you know whether it's that incident or, or other things they might want to, I would I would think that the conscientious people, civic-minded people, that want to go out and make a vote for who they want to see lead the city council, want to know how they're going to impact that, mm-hmm. how what's their ideas for moving it forward, how can they do it better than the other two, uh, and and that's the campaign I'm going to run. Yeah, and fundamentally, that's the last last question for you. As we run down on time, is voters have a choice to make on February 28, and if you are fortunate enough to make it through the primary and into the general, they have another choice to make on April 4. Why you instead of the other candidates? Well, I think I just kind of said it in my closing uh, yeah. statements. I mean, it's a, it's a, a proven record, uh, 12 years on the city council, six years as, a, as in a large council member. It's 18 years of experience. Uh, this, this is a very, very tough time uh, in local government. And, you know, you need somebody with a level of experience to, to be able to come in and deal with these things, uh, to have the relationships at the state level and at the national level uh, when we need it. We can, we can draw upon that experience, uh, the people that have the ability to talk to different members of our community when, when we need things. So I, I, I think that, uh, again, uh, not talking about my opponents, uh, talking about you know, the only thing I can do is look at my record. I can't change it. It's there, and and I stand on it proudly. And um, uh, that's where uh, I think people are going to have to make the decision on you know what they what they're looking for in the person that that leads the the Peoria City Council. Uh, this is a, a difficult time to have on the job training, and uh, I think that that's what I bring to the table. Um, I've been open. I've been accessible. Uh, I don't think you're going to talk to anybody that. You know, tried to get a hold of me about an important issue that that had a hard time finding me or getting a hold of me, and uh, I'll stay true to that. You know, people have my phone number and they know where they can find me, uh, and uh, I look forward to, regardless of uh, the other council members uh, that are elected, uh, I look forward to working with them. And I've I've shown over 12 years that I can work with 
everyone, regardless of what, whether they agree with me or disagree with me. Um, it's all about moving Peoria forward. Look, I'll say this. I never went in there and, and felt like I was going to be there for three terms and maybe four. Uh, I don't claim ownership on that seat. And I'm very comfortable standing on my record of accomplishments and what we've been able to do as a team, not me, by myself, as a team. And if the community, uh, you know, when it's all said and done and they make that decision, then, you know, the good Lord wants me to move on and do something else. I'm really, really comfortable with that. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. uh, And uh, I'm going to try to persuade them that I still have four strong years left in me. But we'll see what the public wants. And then that's the great thing about this country. If you want to try to run for something, you know, go out there and and tell folks what you want to do and, and convince them that you're the best person to do that. And I think I can. All right. Polls are open now for early voting through February 27, and of course, primary day on February 28, when polls will be open from 6 in the morning until 7 in the evening, and results shortly thereafter. Thank you, Peoria Mayor Jim Artis. Thanks, Chris. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.